Well, good morning, everyone. It is an honor to be back in the pulpit with you this morning uh, to share a new outreach strategy uh, for you uh, for Hoffman Town Church for this year. That's what these tables and these banners are here for. Uh, But before we get to that, I do want to share a word from Scripture with you that I hope will be an encouragement to you and will also uh, challenge you, as it has me uh, these last few days in preparing. Before I get to that, I want to give a a shout-out to Pastor Steve Dighton, Miss Mary Dighton as well, and uh, thank them again for their faithful service. As you all know, yes, amen. Last Sunday was Pastor Steve's last Sunday with us as interim here at Hoffmantown Church. And I know you're going to be faithful to continue praying for Steve and Mary in this next chapter of ministry for them. And I know they're going to also be praying for us. So we hope to see them again soon. We love you and appreciate you if you're watching. Well, several years ago, there was a producer by the name of Chuck Klein that made a movie about a series of events that took place in his childhood. The name of the movie was called The Harvest. And it was about a family, a mother and a father, and four sons. This really resonated with me because Ruth and I have four boys, as you know. And these boys were ages 2 to 10. And they lived on a farm in North Dakota. And they had acres and acres of wheat on that farm. And this whole movie centered around them bringing in the harvest. And they had spent months working and preparing and planting the seed and, and waiting. And it was just about time to bring in the harvest when tragedy suddenly struck. And in the middle of the night, the father unexpectedly passes away. So now not only do the, the children and the wife have the, uh, the deal of, of grieving their loved husband and loved father, now they had to deal with the overwhelming prospect of bringing in the harvest all by themselves. Well, the sons were too young to be able to operate the the machinery, too young to be able to repair any equipment. And the mother did the only thing she knew to do. She prayed. She prayed that God would send help. Well, sure enough, a few mornings later, the sons are out doing their morning chores, feeding the animals, when they begin to hear a low rumbling noise coming over the hill. And as they look down the road, they see coming one after another, big, massive, wheat combines. And this was their neighbors, this was their friends, their community coming to help them. And side by side, these combines began to tackle one field after another and to gather the wheat into the combines until at the end of the day, they were able to do together what no one family or certainly what no one person could do by themselves. And that was to bring in the harvest. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning, church. I want to talk to you about bringing in the harvest, but not one of wheat or corn, but bringing in a harvest of souls. So our text this morning is found in Matthew 9, 35 through 38. And if you'll turn there with me, let's look at what it takes to bring in the harvest. And let's all stand together in the honor of reading God's word. It says in verse 35, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest 
to send out laborers into his harvest. You may be seated. I just want to point out here before we get going that uh, the sermon outline in your compass has been revised a little bit since I submitted it earlier in the week. The Lord has a tendency to do that sometimes, change directions. So just follow along the best you can and use that for notes, okay? The first thing I want to talk about is the, the, the idea of the harvest. This is the first of two metaphors that Jesus used to convey a spiritual truth. And we all know that our Lord was a master at using metaphors and illustrations and parables to give spiritual truths. Well, the harvest, uh, this, when, what we need to understand about the harvest is that the culture of that day was predominantly agrarian. All of life centered around the, the planting and the harvesting of crops. It was central and crucial to one's existence and sustainability. So when Jesus compares the harvest of crops to the harvest of souls, the disciples understood how important of a concept that was. Let's look first at verse 37. We're going to take things a little bit out of order this morning. So let's look at verse, verse 37. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. This is the first thing I want us to see this morning from this verse, is that the harvest is plentiful. And because of that, there is joy in the harvest. There's abundant joy. Again, in these ancient agrarian societies, the harvest time was a jubilant time because it represented answered prayers and abundant provisions. As we all know, the Israelites had several feasts throughout the year commemorating and celebrating the harvest and God's faithfulness. Maybe some of you grew up on a farm or maybe you've planted a garden at some point in your life. When I was a little boy, my, my father was a pastor, and we had a parsonage, and beside that parsonage was a large field, and then the church was on the other side of that parsonage, on the other side of that field. And in that field, he planted a big, big garden, and it had everything in it. It had the potatoes, it had the rows of corn, it had the tomatoes, and the squash, and the zucchini, and watermelon, and strawberries, and all kinds of stuff. And I loved it all, except for the okra. Too prickly to pick, too slimy to eat. So no thank you for the okra. <laughs> there you, you got to fry it. That's right. But how enjoyable and gratifying it was to be able to go out in the field and in, into the garden, gather these vegetables, bring them in. Of course, mom would make mashed potatoes and take that corn and cook that corn and put some butter on it, fried chicken and have some strawberries for dessert. I know some of you are getting hungry right now just to me talking about it. But it was, it was gratifying to, to, to pick the fruit of our labor and bring that in. Well, the same can be said for the field of souls. There's great joy to be had in working God's harvest. It's gratifying. It's fulfilling. Is it hard work? Yes. Do we always get to see fruit from our labor? Not always. But when we do come across somebody who's ripe for the picking Man, I tell you, there's no greater joy this side of heaven than seeing someone pass from death to life. The second thing I want us to see from verse 37 is that there's a sense of urgency to the harvest. Look again. He said, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. If there's one statement I want to leave you with this morning, pondering, it's that one right there. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. It was said of the great English preacher C.H. Spurgeon that this verse weighed on his heart more than any other verse in Scripture. It, it, said that, it was said that it was said to have haunted him perpetually all the days of his life. Now, I'm not hoping that it haunts us, but I am praying this morning that the Holy Spirit would impress this 
passage of scripture on our hearts that we might leave here changed today. But why did it weigh on Spurgeon? Because of the urgency of the situation. Jesus in John 4.35 says, Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for the harvest. Have you ever wondered why Jesus said that they're white? Well, those of you who know anything about farming will know that when the wheat begins to turn from a light, warm brown color to a cold white color, it means that death is imminent. And unless that wheat is harvested, it will soon die. And Jesus here is sounding alarm to us. He's saying, awake from your slumber, open your eyes. Eternity hangs in the balance for those who have yet to hear the gospel. And yet, the laborers are few. You know, the problem isn't that there's not enough harvest to go around. The problem is that there's not enough harvesters to go around. There's not enough workers. A recent Pew Research poll from October of this last year said that Christianity is on a rapid decline in America. In the past decade alone, those professing Christ as Savior has fallen from 77% down to 65% in just the last 10 years. That's a little over 1% a year. If that trend continues, then that number will be below 50% in just a short 15 years, friends. I don't know about you, that's, that's alarming to me, to me. By the time my little girl reaches college, we'll no longer be a Christian, a predominantly Christian nation if the trend continues. The same trends are happening in our churches across America. Those Americans who say they attend church at least once or twice a month fell 7, 7%. And those who don't hardly attend ever at all, those who only come maybe for Christmas or Easter, rose by the same amount, 7%. And what's perhaps even most alarming is that Christians say they attend service about the same amount that they did a decade ago, back in 2009. In other words, the nation's overall rate of religious attendance is declining, not because Christians are attending church less often, but rather because there are now fewer Christians in the general population. What does that tell us? It tells us we Christians, we're pretty good at going to church, but we're not so good at working out in the fields. We've turned inward and forgotten Jesus' last words to us before he ascended to heaven when he said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. You know, one of the areas that I think that we've been strong in for a number of years here at Hoffman Town is in our international missions. I'm so proud and grateful for the many families and teams that have gone out from this church all over the world to many, so many countries spreading the gospel. We praise God for that. But it seems to me that we have struggled as a church in sharing the gospel with our own community right here in Albuquerque, our own neighbors, our own friends and coworkers. Could the reason be why we're seeing a decline in our churches is not because we're not attractive enough or hip enough or modern enough, but because we're not witnessing enough? Oswald J. Smith, the great Canadian evangelist, says, the church that does not evangelize will fossilize. Now, I know there are some of you in this body who do share your faith on a regular basis, and I praise God for you, and I thank God for you. You know, I, I think of, uh, excuse me, <laughs> I think of folks like uh, uh, Nate and Aaron Herbst uh, and their team, the Great Commission Alliance, who go out to uh, UNM on a weekly basis and share the gospel out there and who go all over the country. In fact, Nate's out of the country right now sharing the gospel. 
or Marty and Leslie Fuentes, who formed a, a new outreach team uh, last year. Praise God for these folks. And I know there's many of you, some of you out there as well who do the same. But they're in the minority church, not just in our churches, but church all over the country, churches all over the country. Do I need this? <laughs> what do y'all think? Do I, do I need? Oh, I guess I need it now because he turned this one off. Okay. It's okay. I'm used to holding a mic anyway. <laughs> no, I'm speaking to the rest of us, including myself, church family. This message, like I said, has been as convicting and challenging to me as I hope it is to you today. We need to join these others out in working in the fields. Have you ever wondered why God has left us here with all the hardship and suffering and pain in this world? Why doesn't he just take us straight to heaven when we, when we receive Christ? Surely he's left us here for a purpose. Is it so that we can have nice cars, nice homes, big portfolios? Or wait, is it maybe so we can just come to church? And praise and worship the Lord together, as wonderful as that is, and, and go to Sunday school or, or go to the various meetings that we have. Those are all good things. But think about this. We can do all of those things in heaven. We're going to be in church forever, for heaven, in heaven. We're going to be praising the Lord there, worshiping Him. We're going to be constantly receiving His word. But there's only two things in heaven that we can't do there that we can do here. Think about it. And that's sin and witness to non-Christians, non-believers. Now, which one of those do you think he's left us here to do? The answer is obvious. Our mission church, while still here, is to glorify the Lord and to share, to glorify him by sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with as many people as possible. Wouldn't it be wonderful if it could be said of Hoffman Town Church, the harvest is abundant and the laborers are many at Hoffman Town Church. Well, now that we know what needs to be done, let's look at the text here very quickly to see what insights we can glean for how we are to bring in the harvest. And in keeping with the theme of the harvest, I'd like to give you what I see to be four seeds that we need to sow if we're going to see a spiritual harvest. The first seed in your notes there is the seed of sight. Look at verse 36 of the passage. It says, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. If we want to bring in a harvest, the first thing we need to do is to learn to see people as Jesus sees them. How does Jesus see them? He sees them as made in the image of God, as valuable. You know, there's other places in Scripture where the crowds would come to Jesus and the, and the disciples. And what would the disciples do? They would want to shoo them away as if they were annoyed by them. But Jesus, not so he welcomed everybody with open arms. Why? Because he valued them. He saw them as valuable. He also looked past the physical to their spiritual needs. How often do we go about our day that we're so inwardly focused and so self-consumed that we, that we don't even see people around us, let alone look past the physical to the spiritual need? Even with our modern-day luxuries, our 5G inter internet and our Starbucks coffee, People are hurting now and lost now more than ever. Listen to this. Suicide rates have skyrocketed 25% from 1999. That was around the time the Internet was really gaining steam to 2014. Even with all our technology, suicide rates have increased. Illicit drug use 
has also increased 8.3% since 2002. The point is, just because we're living in the 21st century with all our modern-day conveniences doesn't mean that people are any less hurting or lost than they were in Jesus' day. Friends, we have to see people. We have to see the harvest before we can help bring in the harvest. So the first seed is to see people as Jesus' people, to look past, to perceive their need. The second seed is the seed of compassion. Verse 36 says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Why? Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now, your translation might say they were discouraged, they were downcast, they were thrown down. But this metaphor of the sheep, this is the second one, the second of two metaphors that the Lord uses. The first one was the harvest, and now we have the metaphor of the sheep that Jesus uses in this passage to teach us a spiritual truth. He's saying the crowds were like sheep that were not just lost, but they were harassed and helpless. We have to understand this was a direct indictment on the religious leaders of the day. Rather than seeing people made in the image of God and of value, the scribes and Pharisees, they saw people as sinners to be scorned. Rather than having compassion for their state, they had contempt for them. And consequently, the crowds were like sheep that had been cast down and left for dead. The picture of this is one of a sheep turned on its back. Have you ever seen a sheep turn on its back out in an open field before? Just imagine me on Thanksgiving Day after dinner. You know, you're just kind of on your back and your, your legs are up in the air flailing. That's what the picture is here. And, uh, and so what happens when a sheep gets turned onto its back is that it's almost impossible for that sheep to turn itself right side up. It needs outside intervention to come along and literally grab its feet and flip it back over. Otherwise, that sheep will stay on its back for days, literally days, and be exposed to the elements and be exposed to predators and will very likely die unless a shepherd comes along. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying they're in desperate need of a shepherd, someone to set them back on their feet and to lead them by the still waters. Church, God is calling us to be shepherds in the fields of humanity, to have compassion for their harassed and helpless state. But we see it's not enough to just have pity on people. We have to have the kind of compassion that moves us to action. Now, the Greek word for compassion here is a doozy. Okay, are you ready for this? Splagnitsamai. You almost need a Kleenex when saying that, don't you? And which means, get ready for this, splagnitsamai means to be moved in the bowels. Okay, now before you get all literal on me, we have to understand that this was a figure of speech back in that day. Much like when we say to a friend or loved one, I love you with all my heart, that's the figure of speech here, to be moved in the bowels. It means to be moved deeply. Now, I'm not suggesting you go home and tell your spouses, I love you with all my bowels. Let's not do that. The noun form of this word was used when Judas, after having hung himself on the tree for betraying Jesus, fell headlong into a field and all his bowels gushed out. My boys love that part especially. But that's the picture here of being deeply moved. 
Now listen to this. The only time splagnizomai is used in the New Testament is in reference to Jesus. When he saw the multitude of crowds that had not eaten, he had splagnizomai on them. When he saw the blind man coming to him or the leper coming to him, he had splagnizomai on them and healed them. We also see uh, that, that when Jesus went to go raise Lazarus from the dead, and his family and his friends were all gathered, and they were mourning Lazarus' passing. And the scripture says that Jesus wept. We have to understand that he literally burst out in tears there. We understand that when Jesus saw the crowds, he was moved, so moved by their plight that he had a physical, visceral reaction. The point here, friends, is that Jesus reflects the heart of God here. And God's heart is one that feels our pain. He identifies with us. It's like Isaiah 53 says, Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. John MacArthur puts it this way, Does God care? Does God care and love beyond anything that human beings could ever experience? Yes. Then put God in a body and let Him love like that. And let him care like that, and it'll rack that human body. And that's what happened to Jesus. The Apostle Peter exhorts us to have that same compassion in 1 Peter 3.18 when he says, Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do we have the same kind of compassion for people that our Savior has? The kind of compassion moves beyond pity and moves us to action to get outside of these walls and to go where the lost and hurting sheep are. If we're going to see a harvest of souls, it must begin with seeing people as Jesus sees them and having his heart a compassion for him, for them. So that's the first of the two seeds. Now let's look at the third seed. And this is a seed that is most often neglected, church. This is the seed of prayer. Look at verse 38. Jesus tells his disciples to therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest, to send out laborers into his harvest. Notice that after Jesus alerts his disciples and us as to the urgency of the situation, he doesn't say, now panic, hurry, come up with a solution. He doesn't say that. He doesn't even say to go. But the first thing he says is to what? Is to pray. How counterintuitive to us as humans, isn't it? Especially as Americans, who we as Americans, we like to get the job done yesterday, don't we? You know, I, I once heard a pastor, a senior pastor say this several years ago when asked if we should pray about a certain situation. This is what he said. I'll leave prayer to the old ladies in the church. I'm here to do a job. I'm here to get the job done. I was shocked when he said that. How arrogant to think that we can do the work of God apart from the power of God, apart from him. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. He says, pray to the Lord of the harvest. It's his harvest, isn't it? It's not ours. This reinforces 
the need for us to be utterly dependent upon Him. None of us can save a single soul. Only He can do that. That's why Jesus said in John 6, 44, No one can come to me unless the Father draws him, and I will raise him on the last day. That's what Jesus said. No, the first thing we're to do is to ask. We're to beseech. We're to pray earnestly. The Greek here says to even beg the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. Church, I have a question for you. Do you do that? I've had asked myself that question here recently. Because it's been very convicting to me because I, I haven't been praying for the Lord to send out workers into the harvest like I should. You know, just this past week, our dear friends Roger and Kathy Tesh opened up their home to me. A place where I could get away and study quietly where I didn't have to be here at the office and interact with uh, all the goings on here or at home with all my children. <laughs> and so I was really grateful to be able to use their, their lovely home as a place to, to get away and prepare for this sermon. And one of the first things that I saw when I went into their home through the garage, they were here working, so the house was empty. When I went in through the garage, into the kitchen, I saw their refrigerator. And on that refrigerator were pictures of missionaries and ministers of the gospel from all over the world. Many people that I knew personally as well. And as I was just looking at these pictures, I could sense in my spirit that all of these Dear people had been prayed for by Roger and Kathy. I just knew that in my spirit. What a blessing that was to me, but also how convicting that was. I don't know about you, but I need to be praying more for the Lord to send out workers into his harvest. The word here for send out literally means to drive out. This is the same word that's used for when Jesus would cast demons out of people. So the same power that God uses to expel demons is the same power that he uses to send us out to be workers in the harvest. Dear God, I pray that you would come upon us in such a way that we would be compelled and thrust out of our seats here at the church to go and work out in the fields. Indeed, this happens in the very next chapter of Matthew. Sometimes we think this is the end of the passage you know, just to pray for the Lord of the harvest, and that's all we have to do? Well, this is one of the disadvantages of the Bible breaking up the chapters in the way that it does sometimes. Who knows who did that? But the very next verse in chapter 10 says that Jesus called his disciples to him, commissioned them, and sent them out to go spread the gospel in the neighboring towns and communities. David Platt, Pastor David Platt, says of this commissioning, why do you think Jesus would look at the crowds around him with all their deep needs, and then turn to his disciples and tell them to pray for themselves? The answer is humbling. When Jesus looked at the harassed and helpless multitudes, apparently his concern was not that the lost would come to the Father. Instead, his concern was that his followers would go to the lost. And this will be what often happens, friends when we pray to God to send out laborers. What do you think is going to happen when you start praying to God, God, send somebody to witness to my coworker. Lord, send, send a missionary to witness to my neighbor. Or send somebody, Lord, to witness to my relative. We'll find it won't be long before we begin to be convicted to go ourselves. It's like that old story 
about the pastor named Dr. Ledgers, who was walking down the street one day, and he had $50 in his pocket. And he came upon a missionary he knew who was home on furlough. And that missionary said, Dr. Leggers, I think it's providential that I bumped into you today. We're having an urgent prayer meeting, and we would love for you to join us. And Dr. Leggers, being a rather brusque man, said, well, let's not pray out of ignorance. Let's pray out of intelligence. What exactly do you need? And the missionary said, well, we have an urgent financial need for $50. And Dr. Leggers said, fine, let's go pray. So they went. To the prayer meeting, and there was a group of them there, and they began to pray around in a circle. And the first time around, after they got done, one of the missionaries said, you know, I really don't feel like we've, we've laid hold of what the Lord has for us in this prayer meeting. Let's continue. So the second time around, the, God, the Lord tapped Dr. Leggers on the shoulder, so to speak, and said, hey, what about that $50 in your pocket? So by the third time they went around, in the middle of one of the, missionary, one of the other missionaries' prayers, Dr. Leggers interrupted and said, okay, okay, stop, stop, stop. I've got your $50 right here. And he put it out on the table. (laughs) And he pointed a finger to his friends and he said, ladies and gentlemen, it's a dangerous thing to pray. (laughs) So don't be surprised, friends, if God taps you on the shoulder when you're praying that he would send out laborers into his harvest. Now, listen, I know, I know there's some of us here who can't do other than pray. Maybe you have physical limitations. That's okay. God uses you. Your prayers are the strength of the laborers. But most of us do have the strength of body and the health of mind to go. You know, even giving our money, as good and as helpful as that is, our tithes and our offerings should never be a substitution for us going. If the harvest of men and women is to ever be reaped, then every one of us needs to go and be a reaper. Well, you might say, uh, well, that's sending out of the disciples, Pastor David. That That was just for them. God hasn't called me to go. Well, let me direct your attention to what Paul exhorts us with in Romans 10. He says, but how can they, meaning the lost, how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being, and here it is, sent? That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. No, my friends, the call of the harvest extends to all of us. So, we've talked about the seed of sight, the seed of compassion, the seed of prayer, and that brings us to our final seed, the fourth seed that he calls us to go when we go, that we take with us the seed of the word. Look at the opening verse of our passage. It says, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. What was Jesus doing here? Well, I believe that he was leaving us an example to follow, a model. You know, you think about it, when it says that he was teaching in the synagogues, what is that modern-day equivalent for us? It's the church, isn't it? We gather together to be taught that we might go out and proclaim. You might say, well, David, 
isn't evangelism your job and the other pastor's jobs? Yes, partly. But Ephesians 4 tells us that it's the pastor's and teacher's job to equip you, the church, the saints, for the work of ministry. Our primary job is to equip you with the tools that you need to go out into the fields and work the harvest. And no tool is more powerful for the harvest, for working the harvest, than the Word of God. It's like a sickle that's used to cut down the wheat. It's like Hebrews 4.12 says, The Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. But not only is he, is Jesus teaching the Word of God to the people of God, he was proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom right there in the verse. He was taking the seed of the Word out to the highways and the byways. He's going to where the people are. That's one of the things I love most about Jesus. He wasn't just set up in a synagogue somewhere. He was out with the people. And not only was he sowing the seed of the word, he was ministering to them physically. This, the scripture says he was healing their diseases and every affliction. If we're going to be a part of reaping God's harvest, then we have to be willing to get out into the fields, friends. We have to be willing to get out among the stems of wheat and to feel them brush up against us. We have to be willing to get our hands dirty and interact with the people and minister to them with the gospel. If you're going to sow, you have to go. If we're going to sow the Word of God, we have to go to the fields. And where do we go? We go to the harvest field. And where is the harvest field, my friends? The harvest field is your schools. The harvest field is your office It's your sports team. It's your neighborhood. It's your street corner. It's your golf course. (laughs) It's wherever the Lord might have you. Look around. The harvest is all around us. It's all over the place. But the laborers are few. And my question to you today is, will you go? This is the same question I have for myself. Will I go? I opened the sermon today with a story about a community that came around a family in need, a family who had to bring in a a tremendous harvest of wheat. Well, church, it's our time, I believe, to come together as a community, to work side by side out in the fields, and to do together what no one of us, or even just a few of us, should have to do. And that's to partner with the Lord of the harvest, to get out into his fields and to be used of him in bringing a harvest of souls to his kingdom. William Temple, Archbishop of Canterbury said, church is the only society on earth that exists for non-members. Let me say that again. Church is the only only society on earth that exists for the benefit of non-members. We're not here for ourselves, church. We're here for them, for the lost, for the hurting. Let this be the year that Hoffmantown Church gets back out in the fields to help bring in the harvest. And how do we do that? Let's review. By one, seeing people as Jesus sees them. 
seeing them as valuable, made in the image of God, looking beyond the physical, perceiving their spiritual needs. By having the compassion that Jesus had for people, by, willing to, by being willing to identify with their pain, to be moved beyond pity to action. By praying for the Lord to send out workers into his harvest and by, be, by being willing to go ourselves armed with the word of God and his gospel. In just a few moments, I'm going to be sharing a new, re, a new outreach strategy for how we can begin to do this here in Albuquerque. But perhaps you're here this morning and maybe you're one of those people that we, the church, are here to minister to. Maybe you're one of those sheep that our Lord was describing earlier, that you're harassed, you're helpless, you're lost, you're hurting. I want you to know that he sees you. He sees you in your pain, and he feels your pain. He has compassion for you. He loves you. In fact, it was Jesus who said, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he lead the 99 in the open country and go after the one lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulder and he goes home and he calls his friends together and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. If that's you this morning, then it would be an honor to talk with you about what it means to come home to the Master Shepherd and to be saved. We want to share with you what I've been talking about this whole time, the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, So I'll be up here after the service, and I'm sure there'll be other pastors and counselors here. But I want you to know, you've got a whole room full of believers that I know, I know this church family. They want to see you. They want to have compassion for you, and they want to lead you to the only one who can meet that greatest need in your life. So come talk to one of us after the service. Now, church family, in the brief remaining time that we have, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond to the message today as well. Today, we are launching a new outreach campaign for Hoffmantown Church, and we're calling it Reach 2020, as you can see here. By the tables and the banners, they're rather inconspicuous, aren't they? <clears throat> I want to thank uh, the comm team for their tremendous work on all the design for this, and my wife and, and the Fuentes family as well for their help. Church, we are asking you to partner with us in reaching out to our community of Albuquerque in a new and intentional way for 2020. As we go throughout this year, we'll adapt and modify to what works best, but this first phase is designed just to get us back out into the community, interacting with people again. We've designed two different invite cards for you to take to your neighbors, your coworkers, and anyone else who you come across in daily life. And there they are right there on the screen. The first one says, just simply sit with me on it, on the front. And on the back of the card, you see over there to the far right, the back of the card is the same for both cards. But on the back of the card, it says, I'd love for you to join me at Hoffmantown Church this Sunday at 9.30 a.m. It also has a little white space here at the bottom where you can write a little personal note, your name, and your phone number. The other card says, you are appreciated. 
And this is designed for you to give people in the workforce in our community. These are the people that serve you, the people like your mailman, your UPS driver, your grocery store clerk, or maybe the waiter and waitress at the restaurant that you frequent. In fact, this was kind of the the origin of this idea. Ruth and I, uh, during Christmas break, uh, had a, a date night, got to go out to a restaurant. We're having a great conversation and having a great time interacting with our waitress. And at the end of that conversation, Ruth turned to me and said, wouldn't it be neat if we had something from Hoffmantown that just said, thank you. Thank you for your service. We appreciate you. We love you. By the way, we'd love for you to come and join us at Hoffmantown Church. So it was really neat to see this idea come to fruition just this past week when Ruth and I got to go out again on a date and we were able to have that card. You are appreciated. And Ruth had attached a little piece of candy to it. She wrote a personal note on the back, her phone number, gave it to the waitress. And I think it was much a blessing to us as it was to her. And we pray that it would be the same for you as well. Now, for this first phase of the outreach initiative, church, we're not asking you to present the gospel. Now, if the Holy Spirit leads you to do so as you are going, then by all means, we want you to do that. Have freedom to do that. But what we're asking you to do this first round is just to find 20 people in the next few months to engage with these invites in a personal way. Not just sticking the invites in their doors, not just sticking it under their windshield wiper or in their mailbox, but to have human-to-human, face-to-face interaction with just 20 people over the next few months. We want you to take some time and some effort and maybe a little bit of money to personalize each invite. And see up on the screen, you see some ideas here. There's a a package of cinnamon rolls from Whole Foods with a you are appreciated. There was some uh, candy over there and, and, uh, and, and some cookies and there's some plants. Yeah, let's go to the next one, Drew. Thank you. There's a plant there, some popcorn. Again, some coffee cake there. It could be a flower. You can make it age appropriate, do some candy for some kids. This is something that everybody can participate with from young to old. Children, my boys passed this out to their basketball team yesterday. And the kids were so excited to get a piece of candy. And they were really taken aback by the invites. They really enjoyed it. So the point is to be creative and intentional with people and to convey that you, Hoffmantown Church, you care about them. You care about our community. And our prayer is that this will be the beginning. This will be a seed that is sown, that will be the beginning of building a relationship with these people that will eventually lead to you praying for them. Well, you can pray for them right away, but eventually lead to them, to to engaging them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, we have packs of 20 invites up here, 10 of the sit with me. This is the general invite card, the sit with me card, and 10 of the you are appreciated card. And so 10 and 10 makes 20, and this is reach 2020, okay? So you're welcome to take more than one pack, but we're asking that you would prayerfully consider coming up here after we're done here in just a second and just take at least one pack today. We also have some candy, little Easter candy attached to some of these cards. If, if you don't have the time or money to personalize these yourself, then feel free to take the ones that are already prepared with pieces of candy on them. We've got lots of Easter candy up here, so we want parents, bring kids up here, adults, you too. There's plenty of candy for everybody for you to take, okay? And if we run out of the cards today, don't worry. We're going to print some more. 
We're going to have one of these tables out in the fellowship mall for the coming weeks, and we'll have f- cards for you to, to uh, stock back up on as needed, okay? One more thing up on the screen here. We would love for you to share your stories of how God is using this new initiative to engage our community. So as you have opportunity, please visit our new webpage, hoffmantownchurch.org forward slash reach, and share with us how God is using these invites in your and our community's lives so that we can also report back to our congregation what the Lord is doing. Well, that's it, you guys. Um, We love you, church family. Uh, Listen, I am so excited and grateful. I'm grateful for you, and I'm eagerly looking forward to seeing what God has in store for us here at Hoffman Town Church in 2020. Keep praying for us as a community. Keep praying for our pastor search team, our new lead pastor who's going to be coming and his family. Wouldn't it be awesome? Wouldn't this be great if we could really get on board with this? Wouldn't this be a wonderful gift to be able to give our next lead pastor that we're already being intentional about engaging our community with the gospel? It's going to be a great year. Thank you so much for your attention. Let me pray for us, and then I'm going to invite you to come on up, okay? Awesome Heavenly Father, we praise you this morning, and thank you so much, Lord, for that you are the Lord of the harvest. And God, that you invite us, Lord, that you compel us to go to work out in your field and to partner with you. And I pray that as we go, Lord, that you would give us your heart for people, that we would see them as you see them. Lord, that we would have your heart of compassion that moves us to action. Lord, that we would be faithful and intentional to start with prayer and be completely and utterly dependent upon you every step of the way. And Lord, that we ourselves would be willing to go with your word and to sow the seed of your word and to be a part of your harvest for your glory. I thank you for this church family. I thank you for all the work you've been doing in this place and the work you're going to continue to do. And we look forward to a great year together. We love you and praise you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, come on up. Pick up some cards. Kids, you're welcome to come up with your parents, get some candy. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day. You're dismissed.